find you an automation engineer that is within your company somewhere. If you're a multi-location uh, corporation, you probably got one or two that can guide you as far as what you're looking for with your process. Then you bring in a crane guy, uh, a crane company, and let those two work together to come up with what you really need. Welcome to Safety Factor. My name is Ben Hanks, and today we're talking about crane automation. I'm joined by Ted Dunville, hoist expert and ASME committee member, and Kenny Wright, Mazella Vice President of Process Cranes and Modernizations. So before we start, can you guys just tell me a little bit about how, how you know each other, your background in the industry? So you start by background. I've been in the crane uh, industry for probably over 30 years. Uh, my background is overhead cranes, ship ashore cranes. Uh, I've worked on portal cranes. Every crane type that's pretty much out there, I've probably worked on at one point or another. The way that I met Tad is through some of the committees that we uh, we both participate on. What, what was the first time we met? I don't remember, honestly. I, it had to be one of the conferences that we both go to, and it may have been even one of the crane symposiums. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. I don't remember how we met. It like we've known each other our entire lives, though. So we participate in a lot of the same committees, uh, especially the AIST. We're both on the crane committee for uh, for AIST. We think that's the way we met. We're not 100% <laughs> we sure. We were just having this discussion offline beforehand <laughs> here. And uh, it, it, at this point, we bump into each other so often. Uh, my name is Tad Dunville, if I haven't properly introduced myself. Um, I'm I, Kenny and I work together on projects. He, he is, uh, uh, I consider myself both a, a vendor and a, a co-worker some days. Um, and, and so, and at one time we were actually competitors. And I think that's when we first started hearing about each other. Uh, somebody kept saying, well, Kenny write this and Kenny write that. I'm like, who the heck is Kenny Wright? And uh, <laughs> they waxed us on a couple projects. And I said, all right, I got to get to know this guy. And it, it was kind of off to the races because we rubbed shoulders at each other, uh, with, with each other at, at a lot of conferences and, and events where we work on safety, design, inspection, regulations, things like that, where we really try to uh, not to put so much rules to make life tough, but to help people quantify what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, and we find that that can lower the cost of cranes. It can make uh, the workplace a lot safer. Um, and it, and it, it just overall makes life a lot easier provided the the regulations or codes that that we we wordsmith and work on from time to time are are well discussed and have buy-in from from all the stakeholders the customers the the, the engineers the builders the maintenance guys um that that's definitely something that provided you do a right can can make the workplace much safer and more profitable tad or kenny could you tell me what is the worst job you've ever had <laughs> As far as my worst jobs, I mean, two come to mind. And, and one of them was when I was in college and we were working on a foam crane. So if you picture the the seats in your car, the chairs in your house, they all have that yellow foam rubber. And it, it's made in a factory where it's it's laid out in an oven that's about four foot wide and four foot tall and about 100 to 150 foot long. And, and this toxic vat of chemicals pours into this oven and it bakes up what looks <laughs> like a, an enormous loaf of bread. And it's hot and it stinks 
and and you know the, you start getting a headache from all the crap in the air and and what nobody tells you is the static electricity is so bad there that you have to carry something like a screwdriver or your car keys and every 20 feet you just tap tap and that discharges the static because otherwise if you just touch the crane or something you get the worst shock of your life and <laughs> and it, we had warranty problems with it and the customer was driving this crane in, into walls and everything and and so at the time I'm you know 20 years old and think I know cranes and I really don't know much. And so they said, just go down there and write down everything they do and watch them and don't be noticeable while you're doing it. And it's like, I'm not necessarily good at not being noticeable. And, and so <laughs> it was, it was a rough summer. I spent a couple of months doing that. And and the other one was a, a, a galvanizing, not galvanizing, I'm sorry. It was an acid uh, tank house where there's what looks like four dumpsters in a row side by side and in order to treat metal components correctly to make them, you know, durable and, and resistant to rust, they have a crane that dips them in one vat, 10 minutes later, picks them up, dips them in another vat. And um, it's such a caustic atmosphere that usually the buildings and the runways and the columns are all cement precast. And I hate that because what that does is it starts to sink and move a lot more easily than, than steel runways do on footers. And so they called us up and said, look, we've got this 40 year old hunk of junk and the runway rail is all out of uh, uh, straightness and, and spec, which come give us a price. And we shot them. I mean, it was, it was a big job. It, it took us, you know, eight or 10 guys for a, a number of days up there with come alongs. I think we put new runway rail up there too, because it was so it up. So we had come alongs and, and lasers and all the tools of the trade. They started running the crane again and the cranes running into walls and, and squeeching and squealing and, <laughs> That comes to me and goes, what the hell did you guys do? And I said, I guarantee you the runway is straight and we'll go up there with lasers and shoot it again and prove it to you. But what had happened was the, the, the walls had drifted and the columns and, the, and the, the runways had drifted and shook so much just over the last 50 years that, yes, you had a straight runway, but, but it was now meaning that the crane would hit the walls and bump into stuff. And, you know, for two weeks, we had to sit out there and prove to them that, that it was working correctly all the while you know, breathing in the most toxic, caustic chemicals. I, I, I would never want to work there again in my life, but um, somehow we wind up in places like that again and again and again um, because it's, it's, we like the people we work with and it's an interesting topic. And Kenny, I'm sure you've been in places like that plenty, probably more than I have. Kenny's a little older. See, Kenny's older. <laughs> Here we go. How <laughs> so actually just one quick one on that. You talk about the corrosion and the rust. Um, this was at a pulp mill and the, the guy actually was a friend of mine that was the maintenance manager. And he was like, I think we got problems with our runway. And so we both go up together and uh, we're at the, the wet end of the machine. And he said, see what I'm talking about? That, that, you know, there's a little bit of rust there. I took my finger and I put it through the web of the beam, <laughs> through the web of the beam. And I'm like, uh, you don't have a runway problem. You need to replace all your runway. You don't have an alignment problem. You need to replace your runway. You don't have a runway problem. You just don't have a runway. Yeah, there's no runway there. So all the bleach and whatever, the caustic chemicals and yeah, had eaten away the uh, the metal. And 20 years ago, we'd go into places like that, paper mills, pulp mills, tank houses, no protection whatsoever. You were lucky right. if they gave you those little orange foam earplugs and yeah. made you wear safety glasses. And it's amazing how over the last few years now they make you take breaks and you get to wear masks and-, and uh, Monitors. Yeah, and and- even uh, fall protection. I mean, uh, there was a time when I was on a mods crew in Chicago and fall protection was 
somebody goes, hey, don't fall off. And, and <laughs> then you just be really careful for the rest of the day. Um, and we all moaned and groaned about fall protection. But the last time I was on a crane, you know, 60 or 70 foot up in a powerhouse, I was okay with it. Yeah. So speaking of some of the advances in safety, so I guess one of the leading ones would be automation, just removing people from harm's way. So what are some of the technologies that are in use that you're seeing in, in the world of automation and in AI on overhead cranes? So first of all, it's two different things. So with automation, that's a pre-programmed move for that crane. All right. And there are different levels of automation. You can have a, a level zero where it requires an operator. You know, you can have a level one where operator needs to be in the area or a tender. And then you can have complete automation where there's no interaction with the, uh, with the operator or with maintenance or anything else. But it's still, it's pre-programmed moves. All right. And on that, we use sway control. We use sensors for positioning, uh, even sensors for speed and things like that. But it's still pre-programmed. Now, when you talk about AI, the difference there is that you, and there are vendors, crane builders, that are experimenting right now in Europe with AI technology on cranes, okay? So with AI, you're setting up that crane to think for itself. Okay, that's not really the way it works, but you get my point. Mm -hmm. It's not a pre pre-programmed move. And eventually that AI learns how to safely operate that crane, safely make the moves that it needs to move, but do so with precision, accuracy, and speed. And also with the sensors that you would have either on an automated crane or AI crane, you are able to detect when a human being is in the, in the area, okay? Safety is always going to be the number one priority, uh, no matter what. Um, with automated cranes, you have light curtains to prevent people from entering the work area. Uh, with AI cranes, you're going to have cameras that can detect when a human being walks into the work area. Same concept, and it does the same thing. It stops the operation momentarily. But in an automated crane, if you stop the operation, somebody has to go and reinitiate the operation. With AI, I think that with the way technology is going, that operation was interrupted momentarily and then the crane decides or AI decides now I can go back to work safely, right? Some of the devices you ask about, sway control, the positioning systems. We have everything from laser to radar. Help me out, Tad. There's some other things that we use, barcode readers for positioning. Uh, but the bigger, bigger things right now are laser. In the last 10 years, we've gone from, from this stuff really good idea to being profitable and, and repeatable. And, and that's the biggest difference is when we first started using sway control, for example, uh, it was mechanical and, and it slowed the operation down. So production hated it because they're like, well, we spent $30,000 extra on this thing and now our throughput's down. And, and operations guys hated it because they're like, well, we're trying to drive the crane and it's talking back to us, not doing what we tell it to do. Yeah. We are finally at a point where, first of all, most sway control is electronic and there's probably what, 10 or 20 different patented or, or proprietary versions out there, all of which are pretty interesting to me. I, I don't, there's, there's nobody that, that I have an ax to grind with today, so to speak. Um, and, and it's actually to the point where they've proven that uh, the return on investment is there, that, that you can operate mm -hmm. faster rather than slower. And 
when I was a kid, you know, I, I would use small cranes occasionally and, and just pick up little stuff. Not, not a kid, but when I was younger and I thought, what is sway control really that big of a deal? And you don't notice it until the first time you run something like a 30 ton process crane with, with a, a, a big magnet beam on the bottom. That's got a giant stack of plate, you know, 40 or 60 foot long. And you try to stop the thing and, and, and it comes to a stop, it swings and you about knock someone on their feet and you go white in the face and you think, okay, sway control is probably really a good idea because how much time would it take to teach someone not to be a schmuck with the crane and, and you know, just about kill somebody. And this is a true story. It happened to me on the south, southwest side of Chicago um, in a building with more bullet holes than, than I have socks. <laughs> and and <laughs> not neighborhoods, Ben. I don't, I don't know uh, how much you you've noticed that uh, we don't we don't go to Neiman Marcus for lunch after we get done. You know, rains. Kenny asks all the time. I have to tell him no. <laughs> but neither of us have been taught the proper way to, to drink a tea either. I, I don't know if I'm the outer in. I I still haven't mastered that. So. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's amazing not just how much things are out there, but we're finally to the point of refinement where there's a, there's a distinct return on investment. You can go to the, to the CFO and say, I'm not looking to do experiments here. We've got a number of proven concepts that are in operation at really big name companies like Boeing, General Motors, Ford, Chrysler. Um, and, and once the CFO hears stuff like that, they're like, okay, you know, as long as it's not functional in a laboratory outside of Cincinnati, um, where they never actually picked up a, a, a for-profit load on a crane, I'm interested. This, this has my attention. We don't we don't think it's a, as much of a risk. So our technology is changing, or at least the technology we're using in in overhead cranes and other cranes is is changing, adapting. One of the things that's not changing is the regulatory uh, commissions, the regulations that we abide by, and, and that's something that we struggle uh, to get others to to work on and adapt to that. For instance, automated cranes, Tad, we have no regulatory commission that tells us what we should inspect, what we should maintain. It's all by the OEM, all right? The the builder of that crane tells you how to inspect it, how to maintain it. And I think that's one thing that our industry needs to catch up on. We work on that a lot in the, uh, the AIST crane committee, but CMAA, um, OSHA, you know, even the NFPA, you know, 70E doesn't address arc flash for an automated crane. Is there any need for it? Probably. But the NEC doesn't address anything for automated cranes. And that's where we struggle in our industry is getting that up to speed. So I I agree completely. And it it starts at the design phase. And, you know, three or four years ago, myself and a couple I put together a project for an automated aluminum coil handling crane. And I wish I had a piece of paper. The, so, so to show you how the food chain goes, uh, at the time I was GM of, of the below hook company that, that made the coil grabber, um, there was an overhead crane builder and then there was an automation company. So we all sold through the, autom- the overhead crane company who then sold to the end user. And the automation company said, okay, uh, it's going to be X hundred thousand dollars to automate the crane. And that was basically the gist of their proposal. And it didn't have a lot about where, where will it go to what degree of accuracy will the stops be? What is it picking up coils off of and where is it feeding them to? 
what happens, you know, if, if there's no coils or, or if there's too many coils. And that's frustrating because we know another vendor that, that we, we know and respect and like that'll write you a 300 page proposal with immense yeah. amounts of detail. And, and that's probably too much detail, but I'd rather have that because there's at least something to look back at and understand what, what are we getting with this crane? And if the, because invariably when you have something like an automated crane, that's still new to a lot of people that the end user customer will look at it and be like, well, but I thought it was going to do that. Didn't we talk about that? And, and then, and, and Kenny's laughing because he knows he's been through these battles and it's true. And it's, what you Most need. recently, the, the project we're working on together right now is that the customer needs two automated cranes yep. and his RFQ was two pages long. Yeah. So as we dig into this, I mean, we had to make several site trips, several meetings with engineering uh, staff from the customer. Yep. And we basically led them to this is what you should have put in your RFQ. This is what you really need. By doing that, we eliminated our competition because our competition wasn't willing to do that for the guy. Yeah, that, that but, paid off dividends. And I mean, yeah. I've always thought that pickup trucks were the perfect metaphor for cranes. If you want a Ford Ranger or, or what's the little one, the Maverick, you know, if you walk in and you start telling them, well, I need this axle ratio and this towing package and you know, I want, I want it to be uh, that, that mystic color that they used to paint Mustangs in, they're going to be like... <laughs> get the heck out of here. You, you can get red, blue, or green. You can get the <laughs> package or not have the towing package. And, and, you know, maybe the Ranger comes with a four cylinder or a V six, right? Otherwise it's like mm -hmm. the road kit. Come on, what are you doing? But if you want an F three fifty, suddenly there's three different axle choices. You can have a dually, you can have four different bed lengths, four different cab lengths, six different engines, four transmissions. And it's because an F three fifty is meant to do a job. Um, with the exception of a bunch of our friends in this business who have done well and just want a nice big truck to, to tow their, their boat or their motor home, most people buy an F-350 because they're dragging something around every day. And so depending on the load, you need to specify your axle, your engine, your cab size. And it's no different with cranes. 80% of the cranes made, you get this. We're going to give you a price and you're going to take it. But the other 20% where Kenny and I spend a lot of our time is if, if you give anything less than 20 pages, I guarantee you there's going to be recriminations and disputes and questions at the, at the end of the project because we're going right back to, well, we thought it does this. Yeah. And you need to be able to do is say page four says that the, the automation on this crane will pick up a coil off of a railroad car that is or is not positioned at precisely the same place, put it in a coil field, go find it two weeks later. And then put it on a, a slitter or a decoiler um, with, with X precision. And if you can't say stuff like that, it's not a game stopper, but it's certainly a, an opportunity to call someone up and say, I need help. And it, it, it's kind of like reading the news these days. If, if you read Fox and MSNBC right after each other, it, it's, it's like getting talking to two different crane companies, right? Or, or I, you know, I just, I just bought counters from a kitchen. The amount of BS that that Lowe's and Home Depot fed me, but the what you start to find out is when it's like a Venn diagram, right? When everybody's <laughs> telling you three different stories, you got to look mm -hmm. at stories uh, meet up where the stories match. And so whether it's Fox and MSNBC or or it's two crane companies, spend time with them. If you're buying a half million to a million dollar crane, you want to spend hours with these people talking about what you're doing 
bring in the, the crane operator, bring in the, 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 the slitter and decoiler operator, bring in the guy that tells the railroad what to do. And, and don't be afraid to do a, a dear Facebook, a dear diary and just pour your heart out about what is this crane doing? What do you want it to do? Where are your problems? That's a, that's a great piece. What is your old crane doing that's causing problems? Um, write it up 10 pages, maybe 20, uh, Kenny, one of Kenny's strengths is in intermodal and port cranes. The, the proposal request, the requests, the RFPs are like 400 pages. Would you say Kenny? Oh yeah. yeah. And then, you know, a steel mill RFP is probably 20 or 30 pages, you know, when someone does it right. Um, and then you get a guy comes along and, and he gives you a two page or says crane 20 tons. And you're like, <laughs> oh God. Need a little more detail. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, yeah, when you get those that are two pages, you do have to dig in. But also when you get the the 400 page or even the 20 page, you still got to dig in because the customer's understanding of one thing, his terminology is going to be different than yours. Um, so we run into that a lot as well. Okay, yeah, you got to expect out very well here, but what about these? And oh, yeah. well, we didn't think about that. Um, like. Uh, any automotive that you deal with, you know, it's going to be a very detailed and they call them their global specs. Well, their global spec leaves a lot of room for interpretation, yeah. not substitution, interpretation. So you got to ask the questions. Um, yeah. And a lot of times if, if you have a global spec, that's a good point. It, it, it'll say it must be compliant in the EU, the US, the UK, Canada, and, and mm -hmm. where else. And sometimes those specs will actually be contradictory or maybe they're not contradictory, but they just kind of go in 15 degree different directions. Right. And then you realize that in order to hit all those regs and codes, what should be a $150,000 item is now $600,000. And meanwhile, this is the frustrating part. Your competitor comes in and says, Hey, listen, I'm just going to do North America and it's, I can do it for $80,000. And, and then the purchasing agent goes, you know, I got to buy staples, light bulbs, office furniture, bricks, all this stuff this month. I can just check this off and get this out of my hair. And it's not fair. It's not right, but it happens. And then the customer winds up with something. I mean, we had, so, so when I was in the below the hook business, we had exactly that happen. And we got a bunch of lifters for, for wind turbine blades that said, well, you know, we really did need U.S. and Canadian regulations. We didn't really need EU. So it's good, you know, that the initial purchase process, it's good that we ferreted that out. But now none of the lights on this uh, winter and blade lifter meets CSA. And we need them next week. What are you going to do? And how do you look your customer in the eye and say, well, geez, you know, if we would have just had an intelligent discussion about this in the beginning, we could have done this mm -hmm. from the factory rather than having to figure out how to get lights on this lifter in one week. And there's 10 of them to figure out. True. So speaking of regulations, you guys are both on a panel or you're working to start up a panel to help regulate automation in the industry a little bit. So can you tell me what you're trying to do, what regulations you're looking at or what you hope to achieve from it? So, well, the, the easy answer is what we hope to achieve from it. We, we hope to get a group, a team of people that can all agree that this standard should apply to an automated uh, system, to an automated crane. The issue is that we are probably going to have to include some owners, um, end users, because with an automated crane, there are also warehouse management systems, 
product management systems that either the customer is going to do himself or he's going to have the crane builder do it and integrate it into the uh, the complete system. So, and right now that's about 70, 30, 70% of customers are doing it that themselves, 30 are giving it to the crane builder or a, another third party. So you get that team of people together and you come up with what the standard should be. That That's the goal, Ben. Mm-hmm. Do we have an idea of what that looks like right now? No, we we don't, Tad. I mean, we got the basics we know, but yeah. there's so much more that we don't know right now that should be included. But Kenny, that's a really intelligent comment because 90% of the people are going to charge forward and say, there ought to be a rule and, and I'm pissed about something, so I'm going to base the rule around that. Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. having the, the presence of mind to step back and say, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And and let's put together a committee of all the, the you know, the, the full circle of people that are going to design and build and maintain and own these cranes and, and listen to them and, and find out what their concerns are and, you know, get some really talented engineers to look at it and say, we're not trying to address absolutely every concern. We just want to put together some guidelines mm-hmm. that will make. You know, first right. of all, when you're when you're building a new crane, we want to make it apples to apples because when you have people, you know, with with a two page or three page proposal for automating a crane, this is automate the crane. Mm-hmm. Someone with a three hundred page one that that specifies, you know, where the rail cars are and how dynamic the rail car positioning can be. Um, that's not apples to apples at that point, and so someone's going to guarantee play funny business with the specification, come in with a much lower price. And and get the get the probably get the contract, but then the customer is going to call you two years later, and he's going to call someone like Kenny, who's who is a wizard with crane modifications. Say, geez, Kenny, I need you to come out here and make this crane do what I originally wanted it to do, and and that's like going to the island of broken toys because you're starting, you know, you're not starting fresh. You have to start with someone else's disaster, and I mean, how many times have we done that? That a lot. And it's all- and he's right. It's like you you're really starting all over from scratch. I, I like your analogy of the the island of broken toys. It's because you're digging in. You're trying to think what what was this guy thinking when he designed this system? You know, and what what can I do to change it, or do yeah. I have to just totally scrap it and start all over? Um, so yeah, he's right. I like that analogy. I'm going to use it in the future. I mean, <laughs> the psychological impact of saying, look. I can fix this for $600,000 or we can build you a new one for 400 and it will take, mm-hmm. you know, one fourth of the downtime because we won't have men crawling around on this little ant hill of disaster for, for four weeks trying to get it to work right. And of course the, the look in their eyes glazes over because then they have to go to the boss and say, geez, boss, we're going to get another new crane from that new crane we bought, what, four years ago. That's not working. <laughs> um, that that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of a lot of management, and and we had an experience together uh, yes. recently of that. The, yeah. the the guy was or the company was sold two systems that was built by a company that does line process equipment, not cranes, and so they sold him a crane. Okay, it doesn't work. Neither one of them work. There's issues, and the the issue list is is extremely long. So we're at the point where we're going to propose to them, you got to replace the entire system, both of them. And they don't want what you're doing right now. We cannot fix. They don't want to hear it. They, they, even to the point where they want to argue about, well, you know, we really don't think you're applying the right specification. And I said, 
I, you know, I sit on ASME B30.2. Kenny sits on a number of these committees. Like I, I'm not blowing smoke up here behind to sell something. Like we actually sit on the committees that make these rules along with a number of other crane owners and crane builders. But, but, you know, you, you don't get on these committees for trying to sell stuff. Um, right. You get on these committees because you've been doing it long enough that somebody says, okay, we don't think you're going to try to Buffalo anybody. Come on. And, and, and to, to show you also, Kenny, you know, this, the rate of change on these committees, if you wanted to, to actually make a difference, you know, we'll go into an hour conference call and talk about where the commas go. And, and that's no joke because it, 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 if you move the commas a little bit, it changes the, the, you know, what the sentence says. Yeah. And for better or for worse, you don't, you don't really want to change things that quickly because you can change the industry too much and everybody's going to panic. But, but you're exactly right. Going back to, to what we were talking about big picture, people do not want to be told that, that their toy is so broken that you really just need a new one. You can even tell them the new toy is cheaper. And they'll still look at you like, now I got to go to the CEO and tell him that some schmuck authorized buying this piece of junk. And we've been running a piece of junk that could have killed somebody for the last four years. That's a career ending problem. Sure. So speaking of those pitfalls, I guess, what advice would you have for companies who are just beginning to explore automation or AI and they're thinking about purchasing an overhead crane? Uh, what are some things to avoid? How can they go about this process in a nice way? I mean, we get those questions from customers a lot, and we will work with them and advise them. But <clears throat> my advice always is that find you an automation engineer that is within your company somewhere. If you're a multi-location uh, corporation, you probably got one or two that can guide you as far as what you're looking for with your process. Then you bring in a crane guy, uh, a crane company, and let those two work together to come up with what you really need. The problem being is, though, most companies will take that guy they have on staff somewhere. He'll come over, knows nothing about cranes, knows everything about process equipment, and so he ends up writing the spec. You get the RFQ, you look at it, and you're like, yeah, no, that's not going to fly. Uh, you can't do this, you can't do that, can't do that. And then you end up doing more work to try to help them and convince them, you know, to change their RFQ. Advice I'd give to people, if you're going down that road that you think you need an automated piece of equipment, whether it's a crane or your line, is find the right people that will advise you and not charge you to give you that advice. But at the end of the day, the customer's got to write his own statement of work when it comes to automation. You can't use like a Mozilla or anybody else to write that for them. They got to write their own statement of work, right? You can advise them all day long. That's a great point because when, when we write things, whether consciously or subconsciously, we always favor ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, you know, imagine if you were trying to sell your house, you're not going to write that your house, you know, somebody died in your house a few years ago <laughs> and well, they had termites, but we got rid of them. You're never going to write that. You're going to write, oh man, it's got a great view of the water. Yeah. Even if you <laughs> lean out the window and look down the side street to see your neighbor's pond, you're going to write, it's got a great view of the water. And of course you're going to casually forget about the termites and the fact that uncle Ned, you know, had the big one at, you know, someone's birthday party at your house last year. So <laughs> crane companies are the same. And, and I'm, 
I would say I'm pretty honest in my writing about my capabilities, but I'm also not going to tell you 20 years ago, we were at that tank house and we had the runway perfect and it, it still, um, the crane still started bumping into stuff. That's not what I'm going to lead with. Um, and, and, and nobody in their right mind would. So to your point, you have to have, do a brain dump. If you have to, if if you're an end user and and you need a new crane and you think it's going to be automated, force yourself to write 10 pages. And even if it's going to be, even if you get pissed and page three is a copy of page one, it's going to make you think about what you're saying and asking for. So even if you just type out page three and page four as copies of page one and page two, you're probably going to look at that the second time you write that down and say, you know, I don't, I don't like what I wrote there. We're picking up coils, but I don't know for a fact that the ID is always 24 inches. Sometimes it's 20 inches and boom, suddenly the, the, the below hook device or end effector might have a significant change. I mean, when, when you have an automated crane picking up coils, you need to have some sort of device, if not multiple devices, on the toes of the coil grab to see, has it hit the inner diameter hole in that coil grab? And Mm -hmm. what is the temperature of the coil? Is it going to bake those sensors with the first two or three coils it picks up? If you have a three or 400 degree coil that just came out of an oven, you're going to cook those sensors. So now you you see what I'm saying? It starts to get the thought process going about Mm -hmm. what you're doing. And you're going to sit there and say, I'm going to teach Tad and Kenny a lesson. Screw those guys. If they make me write 10 pages, I'm going to write two and page three and four are going to be copies of one and two. Page five and six are going to be copies. But I promise you, you're going to get to the point where you write out, it does this. And you're going to sit there and think about it be like, well, you know, no, last week Fred said that we were having problems with X and it's, it's really not necessarily doing that. And those are the insights that we need as crane companies mm-hmm. to solve a problem and build you a better crane. Your first question was automated versus AI. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's manual, if it's AI, if it's, you know, automated. At the end of the day, it's got to be safe. And the more that we can stay on top of in our industry, not just as a crane builder, but in our industry, stay on top of safety and a guy gets to go home at the end of the day, then it's a win. Yeah. You want to go home safely. You want to see your family. You want to be safe. um, And you want to see, I like the people I work with and I want to see the people tomorrow. I mean, if you really want to be selfish about it, you don't want the unknown. And if you're, if your buddy gets hurt at work and, and now suddenly you got some unknown dude showing up next to you, you know, keep, keep your buddy working, keep your buddy next to you. You got to have someone to have lunch with. Um, and you want that person to have all their fingers and toes and meeting you tomorrow. All right, Kenny, Tad, thanks for joining. So Tad, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, you're welcome to reach out to me. Find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, any any of the above. I haven't been kicked off of any of them uh, just yet for spreading crane problems. <laughs> it's been a pleasure here, Ben. So reach out to Tad on LinkedIn. And as always, you can get a hold of myself, Kenny, or any of our other experts at MazellaCompanies.com. Don't forget to pop into our learning center. We have a ton of information on overhead cranes there, including free eBooks and free courses. Subscribe to Safety Factor wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can watch it on the Lifting and Rigging channel on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there.